Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, we are uh, finishing up the book of James today, this practical letter from the brother of Jesus, as it appears. And um, some really powerful concluding remarks that he's going to have, largely about patience and suffering, and also about praying with faith. Uh, In some ways, prayer is going to be kind of a bookend to the book of James. He started out talking about, you know, asking for wisdom, praying about that. And uh, he's going to wrap up talking about uh, prayer uh, when we're suffering and sick and different situations. So really helpful things here at the end of the letter. Yeah, that's right. I, I, my Bible actually just puts exhortation here on the on the last half of this chapter, just because that's exactly what it is. It's encouraging things, um, final remarks that he has for these brethren, things he wants them to put an emphasis on. And so uh, we'll go ahead and read. Um, I'm going to read James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Patience. um, Specifically, patience in suffering. Uh, Again, it's also kind of a bookend to uh, James. Back in chapter 1, he started out saying, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience Mm -hmm. and now he is wrapping up the letter saying be patient until the coming of the lord something i appreciate about a lot of the new testament letters is the anticipation of the return of jesus um something that we also ought to have and none of us know when that's going to be you know back then they didn't know how long it would be before the lord came back we don't know how long it will be before the lord comes back but there's this anticipation that helps us to be patient. Hey, it's yeah. going to be okay. The king's coming back. Yeah. He's going to make all things right. And we that allows us to be patient when we are suffering and when people yeah. are doing hard things to us. And that's the key. In verse 10, he says, as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, especially for these first century brethren who are going through daily persecution, who are going through hard things because of what their society thinks about them as believers in Jesus, it would be especially hard to say, another day here, really? You know, where where's the Lord? Why why hasn't he come yet? And that's why this admonition is here is to, to be patient. It will all happen in the Lord's timing. And so I think that sometimes gets lost on us because we do not necessarily face persecution in the same way that they did um, in that of, of physical harm or something like that. But we still need to anticipate this day of the Lord and and be excited for its coming, but also patient for it as we wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going to use three examples here of patience. The first one is a farmer. Yep. And I appreciate, I mean, in 
just like his half-brother Jesus, <laughs> he uses a lot of agriculture analogies. And here the farmer, um, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Yeah. And sometimes one of the hardest things to do is to wait. Yeah. I mean, the farmer's done a lot of work on the front end, but there's times where you wait until the earth produces its fruit. And in a similar way, there are times where we have to wait for the Lord. Yeah. And sometimes that's literally just hang in there yep. until the fruit comes or until he returns or whatever it is. Um, and it's maybe especially in our culture, we're in just like a hurry up culture, like constantly go, 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 go. We're not very good at waiting. <laughs> waiting is hard for us, um, hard for me at least. But here he says, you got to wait. And the idea, uh, I think it's kind of funny that in, uh, oh, this isn't too weird of a point, but in Spanish, the word for to wait is the same as the word for to hope. Oh, that's cool. And I think that is kind of a, one of the biblical things about waiting. Yeah. It's like we wait because we hope in the return of the Lord. Right. And in uh, his making things right, taking care of us in the end. You know what I find really interesting, Stephen, is verse 9 is his segue into do not complain, brethren, against one another. In light of being patient, it is really easy to be short with your brethren Mm -hmm. or just people in general. On a much, much smaller scale, if I can use this as an example, you wait in any any line in the general public for any length of time. And you look around at people and what starts happening complaining <laughs> people start complaining maybe at, at one another or or at the staff well, they they should open more lines you know and this this complacency and the the irritation comes because they're not being patient and so they start griping and complaining at one another we really we do the same thing with our brethren sometimes um, because we're not being patient waiting on the Lord we start to gripe at one another and, and turn to get one another and um, James is saying you need to be patient with each other do not complain against one another. Uh, in Philippians 2, actually, he'll talk about not complaining and not grumbling being a way that you can show that you're a light in the world. Uh, just because that's so obviously something the world does, but Christians ought not to be doing. Mm-hmm. But it's also interesting, it says, so that yourselves, you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Um, that That's key. Um, it reminds me of being in school, and there were times where, you know, when the teacher leaves the classroom for a few minutes, what goes on? Like, oh, all the troublemakers are like, all right, here yeah, we go. Yeah. We're and in then, charge and now. And then when someone says, like, hey, the teacher's at the door, what does everybody do? Right Whoa, you get back to yeah. your desk. like, And I think that's kind of the idea is, like, the judge is right at the door. Yeah. Like, we can't pretend like he's going to delay and not ever come back. We don't know when that's going to be. So live your life like he's right at the door and let that help you treat each other right. Again, God doesn't just care about you just going to church and just doing some nice religious things, but how we treat each other is is paramount. Um, It's part of the gospel. Uh, It should change the way that we we work with other people. And um, again, there's a lot of emphasis here. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. At the end of verse 8, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Uh, verse 9, the judge is standing at the door. Yeah. Again, this idea of anticipation is really key. And we ought to feed that within us. Um, maybe we don't daydream about the coming of the Lord enough and think about what's that going to be like. And of course, there's a lot we don't know. 
But the things that we do know ought to encourage us and ought to inspire obedience and patience and service. Um, so I really like this, how, how James is just really getting his audience to think a lot about the Lord's coming as he talks about patience specifically uh, here at the end. The next example that he uses in verse 10 is the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And man, I mean, we could do a whole series on the patience of the prophets and the yeah. suffering of the prophets. Yeah. I mean, most of the prophets, how are they received in yeah, the Old Testament? Exactly. And mind you, some prophets were going to Gentile nations, but a lot of the prophets that we read about, they were going to Jewish people. They, they were going to their mm-hmm. own people. And they were not received with open arms. They were received with a lot of a lot of persecution, a lot of backlash. And, and sometimes death. And sometimes even death. And here's the thing. The Lord was up front with them about these things. Mm-hmm. He said it was going to be hard for them to be able to go and do this. And that there were going to be people who just would not listen. He'll talk about that to Ezekiel and Isaiah. And God is up front with them about how difficult the job is going to be. But he gives them the tools that they need in order to, to accomplish it. And so through their suffering, they were patient and put their trust in the Lord. And that's the same admonition, obviously, that James is giving to these brethren as they suffer. Be patient. Um, Know that that the Lord is in control. He's taking care of it. And so um, going along with that, in verse 11, we count those blessed who endured. You've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. And some of you all might remember the story of Job in the Old Testament. Uh, really, really old book, actually. Um, we're not sure exactly when it was written, but it was super, super long ago. And in the story of Job, um, there is this competition of sorts between God and Satan. Satan will come to the Lord and say, you know, your servant Job, he's only serving you because you've given him all this good stuff. He, he's got this wife, he's got these kids, he's got all these great, um, great things. And God says, no, 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 that's, that's not why he does it. In fact, you know what? You can take those things away from him. God gives Satan permission to, to withdraw those things, take them away, to see if Job will curse God and die. And, of course, Job does not. He, he stays faithful to the Lord. He endures through those things. And there's a lot more to be said about the book of Job. What, 42 chapters, is it? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, But that's kind of on the front end of Job that I believe that this is referencing. Um, and so it's really cool to, to see James referring back to that old book to see how much relevance there is still for us and that we need to endure. Yeah, and, and what's also interesting is what we learn about God in the book of Job. He says, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And that is like kind of the big question of the book of Job. And Job and his friends are debating, you know, what's going on here? Job's friends say, well, Job, obviously it's because you are wicked. And Job is like, no, I'm not. Actually, maybe it's because God is not being fair. And uh, I think Job does say some things that are wrong by the end of the book. Yeah, I agree. But what you see at the end of the book is that God has compassion on Job. And he reveals some of the weaknesses in Job's faith and helps him to be a stronger man by the end of the book. And he has mercy on him. And he restores his fortunes at the end of the book. Um, Even though that wasn't what it was about. Like, Job is faithful to God. He never turns his back on God, even though he lost everything. Um, And it wasn't that, like, 
God promised him all the stuff back. Job did not know what was going on, that he was on candid camera, so to speak. Like, right. you know, he didn't know that uh, this was a test. Um, but he never turned his back on God, and God never turned his back on Job. And I, I think that seeing this particular verse in James gives us some insight to go back and study uh, the book of Job and to see the compassion and the grace of the Lord, right. um, even in that test uh, of Job, that God is is ultimately blessing Job through what he brings him through, as hard as that is uh, in the moment. But these examples, the farmer, uh, the prophets, and Job, uh, all give us some things to really chew on, really think about. Uh, I don't know if there's any of us that don't struggle with patience on some level, but when we look at these people who suffered, uh, who waited, uh, who trusted the Lord, even when it seemed like the Lord was against him, right? Um, it gives us a lot of fuel to, uh, to to grow in patience. Yeah, exactly. So that brings us to verse 12. Um, and Stephen, if you want to read that, I think it's, yeah. you're, you're up. But above all, my brothers... Do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Hmm. So Sounds familiar. Very familiar. This is uh, pretty much straight out of the Sermon on the Mount, as we've been noting throughout the book of James. And um, I think it's interesting that we are always tempted to... I don't know what the best word for this is to kind of couch the things that we say or pad the things that we say. It's like, well, yes, and then we feel the need to like really affirm, like, oh, but like I, I promise this is true. I swear this is true. Or like, even you know, to invoke something else when people try to swear or take an oath, they say like, oh, my grandfather's grave, or you know, whatever else, something greater than themselves, and Jesus especially in his day, saw right through, okay, listen, like, it can't be about what you're swearing by. I mean, in Matthew uh, 23 with the woes to the Pharisees also has a section on this. Like, yeah. oh, you're swearing by the temple or the gold of the temple and, like, trying to say, oh, well, you have to keep one and not the other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, no, you can't just let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Um, and I think that that is, uh, is hard for us to be people of our word, and when we say yes, to have thought through that and say, all right, I'm going to follow through with what I said, even if it costs me, even if it's hard for me. And if I say no, I'm going to let that be no. Yeah. <laughs> it's not to say that we can never change our mind or anything, but just that um, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't swear by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Um, this is a... Uh, powerful teaching on just being people of our word. Yeah, that's right. And I think one of the things that's in view here in no particular order in the the section we're going over today, verses 7 through 20, is just how we treat our brethren, uh, how our relationships with one another work in a little bit. We're also going to talk about praying for one another and things like that. And so you can see how vital it would be to end any organization to be honest with each other and to, to, to truly be able to take one another uh, at, its wor- at our word at surface level when when Chase says yes, he means it. When he says he's going to be there, he will be there. And when he says no, that that's not right or that he's not going to participate in that, that's what he means by that. So you can see how this principle would apply not only in these brethren's relationships, but also in the world. Um, it, it is so easy 
to, to get lumped in with the rest of the world. But if you will live the life of a Christian and follow little things as simply as yes be yes and no no, you will stand out in this world. Mm-hmm. So this is a good kind of catch-all, I think, for the book of James in general. And he's talked so much about the tongue. That's Here's right. Here's another thing on yeah. the tongue to just uh, watch out, be careful what you say. Exactly. So that brings us to verses 13 through 18. We'll go ahead and read that. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So I think it's kind of interesting with the questions that he asks here. Is anyone among you suffering? It's kind of like uh, back in chapter 3, he's like, is it anyone wise among you? You know, almost like picturing a show of hands here. Obviously, mm-hmm. this is a letter, but anyone suffering? Okay, let him pray. <laughs> this is what you need to do. There's an answer. We need to be people of prayer. Um, and this ties back with the, the patience idea of when we're suffering and we need to be patient, we need to be praying for that and trusting in the Lord, hoping in the Lord. Um, is anyone cheerful? Show of hands. Yeah. All right, let them sing praise, yeah. which, again, both of those things are redirected back to God. Yeah. If you are sorrowful, direct your lament to God in prayer. If you are joyful, direct your praise to God yes. in song. So you've got two opposing attitudes or, I don't know, feelings. You've got suffering and you've got cheerfulness. I mean, they're, they're two complete opposites, but they're both getting redirected back to the Lord, which... I've already referenced Philippians once, but the, really that's one of the themes in Philippians is regardless of Paul's circumstances, he's going to find ways to rejoice in the Lord. And that's right. Um, when we're suffering, we must pray. And if there's anything for us to be joyful about, we sing praises to our Lord. And uh, that is so important and vital in the New Testament. I don't think we've talked a whole lot about that. I guess in Ephesians podcast, we talked about the need to sing praises to our God. Mm-hmm. And that's something I know that I enjoy doing with my brethren throughout the week is singing hymns to God uh, when I'm cheerful, even in the car by myself. I like to sing hymns to God that I've either had memorized or I like to listen to. And that's a very important trait and thing that Christians need to be involved with. Yeah. So if you're suffering, pray. If you're joyful, sing. If there's anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church. And again, this is kind of interesting. Uh, this may not be our, like our first reaction because certainly we pray when we're sick as well. But let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. So the thing we're going to kind of turn to now is not just praying personally because like I can pray to God when I'm suffering right. alone. I can sing to God when I'm joyful alone. But when there's sickness, when there's other challenges, we need to pray for one another. And here we have specifically the elders of the church coming and praying over someone who's sick. It's an entirely appropriate thing for shepherds to do for their sheep. And real quick, um, you all might remember us talking about elders when we were going through the Acts podcast. Um, I realize we haven't really talked about that in some of the other recent seasons. But these were local leaders of a church. Um, They were 
be appointed because they met certain qualities and qualifications that we read about in Titus and First Timothy. But these were good men. Um, we know that for a fact, that they, they were proven, they were tested, they were faithful to the Lord. And so for that reason, it, it really does make sense that these would be the ones that are going to go and, and pray for these people who are, um, who are sick. And it also is interesting to me, Stephen, it says that they are to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. There's a couple different views on that. Actually, really a couple different views on, on what anointing was. Uh, one is there was a kind of a health component to it, uh, as far as I understand it. And um, in the same way, we might take some ibuprofen or something like that. I think there there were a, there was benefits to or oil. Put some, you know, like neosporin on a, it, sure. a wound or whatever. Exactly. Um, and there's another way in which this could be taken in maybe some type of spiritual context, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which is kind of interesting. But it's hard to decipher exactly which one is going on here. But nonetheless, we know what we do know is what prayer is. <laughs> and yeah. that, that's that's the focus I'd like to put there in verse 14. Yeah, and the one connection might be in Mark 6 when Jesus sends out the 12 and uh, they cast out many demons. This is Mark 6, verse 13. Uh, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Yeah. Um, so there was some connection here. I don't think here that the oil is the source of the power. Right. Uh, prayer is the source of the power. Yeah. And whether yeah. or not the anointing happens, the power is in the prayer of one who's faithful. And uh, Yeah, exactly. Verse 15 is Stephen's point exactly. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Mm-hmm. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. The emphasis on the prayer is still on the Lord and his ability to heal and raise people up. So that needs to be seen. It's not any work or power from us, but it's the power from the Lord. That's right. He is the one who's able to heal. He's the one who's able to raise up. He's the one who's able to forgive. That's right. And there's also kind of a blending here of physical and spiritual illness. Um, In verse 16, he's going to say, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's kind of a debate in this section over, is it physical healing? Is it spiritual healing? Is it both? I kind of see some of both, it seems like, here um, in the context. But verse 16 is one of my favorite verses. Yeah. This practice of confessing our sins to one another. I mean, that's like telling the doctor, hey, like, here's 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 my symptoms. Here's what's right. going, uh, going on. And praying for one another. Really, we're carrying each other to the great physician, the Lord. It's actually... It's, it's like a bunch of patients telling their problems to each other and, <laughs> yeah. then, and then taking it to the doctor. But they might say, hey, I had that problem too, and I took it to the doctor, yeah. and yeah. he helped me out. You know, exactly. I, Let me recommend this uh, physician to you. Exactly. And uh, that's just so important. We, we live in such isolation, maybe particularly right now, um, and we, we barely confess anything to each other, let alone our sins <laughs> to, to each other. And we've got to cultivate a culture of openness among God's people. Um, This is one of the things that has been one of the biggest game changers in my walk with the Lord, especially when I was in high school, going to some of these camps. Actually, soon we'll both be doing some of these camps uh, this summer, um, where there's opportunity to really be open and really get help with spiritual problems. And whatever it is, you know, things that we have a hard time talking about because we're ashamed or embarrassed and rightly so but when we can confess our sins to one another and pray for one another there's so much healing that comes from openness 
And Satan does his best work in the dark. Amen. He wants us to hide from God and from each other. That's the first thing that happened in the Garden of Eden, right? Is Adam and Eve sinned and what they do? They, they hid. hid. And James is saying, don't hide. Don't hide from the Lord and don't hide from each other. Now, I will say this, that not uh, the confession here, I don't think he's talking about like standing up in a church assembly necessarily and mm-hmm. telling everybody. There's a times where that's appropriate and what needs to happen. But I think what he's talking about here is like a one-on-one or yes. like li- sm- small groups of people saying, hey, I need prayers for what's going on here. Yes, cultivating an atmosphere of accountability and openness is really important for any local church. And, and any group of Christians really is maybe a better way I should phrase that. And so I would encourage anybody who's listening that, that considers themselves a Christian, if you do not have someone that you regularly go and talk to about your problems and confess sin to, even though you might have already prayed to the Lord and been forgiven of that sin, it is still healthy to say that out loud to someone else. Because now you have someone that's going to check in on you. Hey, how are you doing on this? Is there any other things that you need to do to to stop sinning and then uh, other practical ways to go about repentance. Mm-hmm. And so find someone either in your local church um, or someone you're close to that you can confess these sins to. Not that that person is the one that absolves you of those sins or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's clear here who's the focus on, the Lord. The, the Lord is the one that forgives. The Lord is the one that does the healing. Um, but find that person, get close to them, and regularly, if you can, talk to them about your problems. Yes. And this has been something that just as a spiritual discipline has helped me probably more than almost anything else in the different struggles I've had in my life. Um, There's something about telling someone else what you're struggling with that one, it makes you realize how bad it is. In our own head, it's easy to justify our sin and, you know, use smoother terms for it and make it sound not as bad. But when you tell somebody else, like, here's what I'm doing, they're like, Hey, do you realize like what you're doing? Yeah, <laughs> um, and, and it, it it's hard to tell other people. I mean, we need to be confessing first to God and confessing our sins to Him. First John one talks about that. If we confess our sins, He's faithful to forgive. But confessing to other humans is hard. Um, and yeah. but it's it's needed. And I mean, the Lord. Go back to the garden for just a second. The, the Lord made Adam and saw that he was alone and it was not good. And he, so he makes a helper suitable for him. I mean, man was made to need to rely on someone else. I mean, that, that, that is within us. Um, Proverbs twenty seven seventeen says, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so we, we need to immediately get close with brethren and be willing to, to share these problems and get the help that we need. Yeah. And so this is a, such a small verse, but a big application that we need to take seriously. And I'll also say this, because every once in a while I've been part of a group where there's lots of confession going on, but not a lot of actual help or prayer. (laughs) This isn't just a, like, airing of grievances or a, um, oh, I'm doing so bad. Oh, I'm doing worse. Oh, I'm doing... We need to... We need to fight to the bottom. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We need to... uh, certainly be open with each other we need to to confess our sins but it says confess your sins and pray for one another that you may be healed the goal is not just sympathy or kind of uh, self-pity but the goal is let's help each other to do better and to draw near the lord so just if you're a student of the bible up until this point if you're the one writing the book of james what old testament example are you going to use to make this point who who are you going to go to Well, James goes to Elijah, Elijah. which is actually, when you think about it, a perfect example for what he's talking about. 
Uh, first off, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now, on the surface, at first you go, didn't he, like, not die? <laughs> didn't he, like, go up into heaven in, like, this, like, fiery chariot thing? And, like, and uh, didn't he, like, wasn't he the one on Mount Carmel that, like, was mocking all those other prophets when they were trying to get their God to consume the sacrifice? And uh, wasn't he the one that called on God and then God consumed the sacrifice? Yes, 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 that was Elijah. But guess what? Elijah was a lonely person. And you see that in 1 Kings 19 right after the Mount Carmel incident. After he's lived on this great spiritual high on Mount Carmel, seeing the Lord consume the, the altar with the sacrifices and proving that God is real and that Yahweh is Yahweh, he gets back to Jezreel and Jezebel is there to kill him. And he will go to God and ask God to take his life because he says, Lord, I'm the only one that's still here faithful. And the Lord will actually go back to Elijah and say, actually, you're not. Uh, you're, you're not the only one. I know it feels that way, but you're not. But I need you to get up. And I need you to go anoint the next king, Haziel. <laughs> and he puts Elijah back to work. But my point is, Elijah was a lonely person in the midst of a lot of suffering and persecution. Imagine how effective that would be to these brethren here who are also surrounded by people who are against them. And they feel isolated and alone. Um, and so for starters, yes, Elijah is a man with a nature like ours. Yeah. But the, but the latter part of his point is, is he prayed. Yeah. And what's funny is it, we don't actually read about the prayer itself back in First Kings. We were looking at that before this podcast. Um, but we know from this verse that he prayed to God. And for three years and a six months it didn't rain. And he prays again and the heaven gave rain. And that's not just because Elijah is so powerful. It's because his God controls Amen. the rain. Uh, our God controls the weather. And his prayer called down God's power. And also because he's praying according to God's will. Like Elijah wasn't just like, this isn't a blank check of like, it's kind of like what Jesus said, you know, ask and you shall receive. Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, I want a new car. I want a new house. That's not the idea. The idea is Elijah was doing the work of the Lord and wanting to confront Ahab, uh, which was really hard, but he was doing what God wanted. And so there was this drought that um, was part of God's judgment against Ahab and the wicked things he was doing. But I, I really like your point about Elijah being a man with a nature like ours. That section in 1 Kings 19 on depression and just uh, going to God when we're down and out is so powerful and so helpful. And helps us remember that, like again, these are the kind of problems we need to bring to each other. If we're down, if we're depressed, um, if we're lonely, go to each other. Pray for each other. Be together spiritually. Um, Elijah found comfort in the Lord um, when he prayed to God, and God took compassion on him. And I appreciate that. I mean, he could have like been like, come on, man, pull yourself together. Like, But no, like he's like, all right, here, get some food, get some sleep. And then he's like, okay, like, you're not alone. There's 7,000 other people who've not bowed the knee to Baal. Um, you're not alone. I've got work for you. And there's more work to do. That's what I love. He puts them back to work. Yeah. And one of, the, one of the greatest ways to get out of that rut of isolation or depression is to get back doing the Lord's work. Mm -hmm. um, that is so important to see there. But, but the emphasis here that James is using is the prayer that Elijah had with the Lord. May we always come back to God in those moment, moments of isolation and loneliness and put our trust in him and communicate that to him. Yeah, and to each other. Amen. 
So James wraps up with a, uh, there's not really a whole lot of uh, concluding remarks here uh, or greetings, but he wraps up with an exhortation, verses 19 and 20 of chapter 5. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. All right, pretty good stuff right there. Um, number one, we know that someone can come back to the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. And what a blessing. And I know I've seen that in my lifetime. Stephen has seen it in his. And I've even seen it with myself as I was wallowing in sin. After I was a Christian and strayed from the truth and turned my back on the Lord, there were faithful brethren who brought me back. And I'm so thankful for those brethren. But the emphasis here is on um, what, what the result of someone who turns back is or someone who turns back to the Lord will will have. They will save their soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a blessing that the Lord will forgive, the soul will be saved from death, but also if someone does turn from their sin, it, it covers a multitude of sins, I think, in that they've stopped sinning. They, they're not going to continue doing that. I think that's simply the application there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen. And I mean, I think this really ties in with verse 16 that we just read. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Um, that's kind of part of all this. As we go to each other, we're trying to pull someone out. Sometimes it's someone confessing their sins to someone else. And sometimes it's someone going to the brother and saying, hey, you're wandering from the truth. Right. You need to come back. Exactly. Come home. We, we want you back. And this is hard because we have a hard time being told that we're wrong, admitting that we're wrong, confessing to other people. Sometimes we also have a hard time confronting people yeah. and saying, hey, this is not okay what you're doing. You're wan- you've wandered from the truth and you need to turn around and come back. But he says motivation here. God can heal them. Their soul can be saved from death. God will cover their sins, forgive their sins. Um, God can heal us. That's been the emphasis of prayer in this section is the healing power that God has. And so I think this exhortation goes really well with the, uh, the, the exhortation about, about prayer. And uh, it's powerful to think about what God can do. And, and what a great call to action at the end of this letter. Um, yeah. James has been uh, encouraging us to use our tongues for what's good and praying for one another and using your tongue to turn someone from their wandering is one of the best things we can do and it results in eternal salvation for people uh, saving their soul from death and covering a multitude of sins um, what could be better yeah. to do for each other mm. and uh, that's how James wraps up his letter final question for us who are we going to reach out today who, who are we going to go to today to encourage to turn away from their sins and to have their soul saved from death because of the Lord. Starting with ourselves. Amen. <laughs> and uh, sometimes we're the ones needing to confess, and sometimes we're the ones needing to reach out. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's the book of James. It does end in a non-Paul fashion. There, there, is, there is no... Uh, Grace and peace. Yeah, exactly. And that's okay. Um, I, like I said, I, like Stephen said, I think it, it wraps up in a... We get it. Um, it's a very James way to wrap up the book. It's just kind of a mic drop. Yeah. Like, Save a soul from death. Cover multitude of sins. James out. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's gone. So Lord willing, what we're going to do next week and for, for four weeks, um, we're going to release the HBG Bible Talks. We, we have like an annual HBG Bible Talks here in Harrisburg. And uh, this year we had a speaker by the name of Ben Hall out of Brooklyn, New York, come in. And he did four lessons for us that were 
loosely based out of the book of Acts and so uh, about the kingdom. And so you're more than welcome to listen to those. That will be season six. It'll just take four weeks. And then we'll pick up in another book of the Bible after that, Lord willing. So, yeah, that'll be the plan for next week. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying what you hear on the pod, please subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review. Uh, If you'd like to study with us like this, we'd love to hear from you. 717-585-0949 or capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information and other opportunities to study in groups, check us out at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.